0: Yeah, how we doing? We're lively, we're awake, we're so full of excitement. Just another boring week at Southbrook, you know? Like, you can't say that, you're a pastor, you work here, right? No, we've been in a series, my boring summer vacation, uh, for a few weeks now. And uh, we're going to continue with this theme of just boredom, and what does it mean in the midst of boredom, what are we saying there? Today we're going to look at boredom that I think a big source of boredom is this, the, these questions, these internal dialogues and thoughts that, is my life exciting? meaning and there's a purpose would you say your life is exciting and that's a catch-all how would you man nuance that out excitement or whatever there's constantly things going on left and right but do you feel it's exciting right and so we're going to dive in that here in a little bit but we wanted to remind you of some things that we have going on around here in this series we have been doing this thing called look up this look up campaign all right, and, we, and the SBK team put together this kind of document. You can find it on our website. In fact, there's some handouts at the information station. <laughs> information station, I'm <not> just me. <laughs> I think they'll get mad because I call it that, but I just love that. Um, but if you go out there, you'll grab this hand. I think it's got a QR code on there. You can scan and access our website. And it's just it's just some cues for you because we get this. I've got three kids. Man, screen life is very much a thing of our in our life and our routines but these are these things that help us to get us to look up, to see the beauty around us. Maybe it's like some events going on in the Parks Department, some events going on in Southbrook and things like that, some ideas to kind of cue these moments of looking up to see the reality and the wonderful things around us. And so if you're interested in that, check that out on our website, grab a card at the information station. Also, We've got something going on. If you walk through the atrium, you could not avoid this, right? The setup in the middle of the atrium, which is a wonderful thing that's going on right now. Our City Lights team is doing this backpack drive. The school is soon to start back, which is maybe exciting for some of us, maybe not for so many others. Um, We are hoping to, man, fill these backpacks up with just school supplies for those in need. And so, man, go to that station, talk to the volunteers out there. They'll give you all the information you need. Backpacks are there, you grab a backpack, I believe there's a uh, shopping list in there and it's all put together so yeah, you just go, you buy the things, fill it up and then bring it back to Southbrook. Have any questions, check that out, they'll get you going and on your way. All right, let's jump into this. Is your life exciting? Would you say it's exciting? Right? We've been talking about boredom for a few weeks here, and I'm not, hey, boredom has good and bad to it, very much so. And I think back, if you took a quick survey of your life, misspent youth, me included, a lot of my misspent youth was out of boredom. Right? Think about these things. What are some things that maybe you did? I wish we could have more dialogue with this because it would be way more fun. Right? <laughs> what are some things out of boredom that you did? You know, I, I go back to... Oh my gosh, just whether it's um, unfortunate, guys, I hope you don't put me on a pedestal. Whether it's the egging of homes, guys, do not condone that. Toilet-papering friends' houses, don't condone these things. Almost everything a misspent youth was, man, guys, let's do something, i bored. Right? Let's do something. And maybe some of you, you're, you, you know, I asked my wife if this was okay to say, um, that you, you got that third kid that's so much younger than the other kids. And maybe there was a moment where you're like, man, it's kinda, I'm kind of bored right now. I really need to go in, more moron <laughs> She laughs, she goes, I think that's okay I said, hey, it's okay But a beautiful thing came out of that boredom Absolutely, right? Beautiful things come out of boredom, right? Inventions have come out of boredom All sorts of things Games, I think sporting events The invention of sport, I think, came out of boredom All these different things Boredom can be good Absolutely it can be good It's much like stress We, we have this negative connotation of stress It's, it's constant stress that is dangerous In fact, there's a book out there called The Upside of Stress by by Karen McGonigal. This is a great book a Stanford professor wrote about, hey, there is good in stress. It's connected to things that you care about, and and there can be good things there. Same thing with boredom. Boredom is good. We know this, that creativity thrives in boredom, right? And my kids come in constantly. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Give them ideas, solicit ideas. Nope, 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 right? Boredom is, is that desire for desires, that in them, right, you know this, as science is just now broaching this subject to study more of what, what the mind is doing in boredom. It's, it's interesting, it's very new that they're studying these things. That they know that there's just a few categories where they believe that boredom emanates out of. Some of those are flat out, I just have a desire for something, some pleasure, I need a dopamine hit, I need something. Or deeper questions of meaning and purpose. Maybe you're at a job where you feel this. And so it's almost like boring the day in and day out because you don't feel like there's a lot of purpose and meaning behind it. And today we're gonna examine what I think is another common denominator of boredom is this sense of, man, I I need a thrill. My life is just not that exciting. It's not that eventful. And so I wanna dive into that today. But I was fascinated with boredom. I was fascinated in studying this because, hey, listen, this ain't just a child thing. I'm very much there. There's many evenings where I realize I've scrolled myself to death. And hours have passed because I'm laying on the couch and there's like, this is what we do. 2007 was the invention of the death of boredom, right? Seemingly, right? The iPhone came along, social media eventually comes along, games come along and apps, all these things to help eliminate boredom. But I would argue, especially in today's subject, today's theme of my life isn't exciting enough, that very thing is what is attributing to the desires and anxieties of my life isn't exciting enough. I talk to students a lot about this as we scroll through our social media feeds and see everybody living their best life for that moment of that photo, right? That, man, everybody's doing something amazing and I'm not. So what I want to talk today is what does this say of our view of God? What does God say to us about Because I I feel this. We all feel this tension of the day in, day out, the, the, the groundhog day of life. The modern day philosopher Trent Reznor wrote, every day is the same. right? And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. I was fascinated with this. Again, I threw myself, I'm a five on the Enneagram, so I love studying, I love reading, I do all this and I do it way too much, especially when it comes up to teaching time, that I overload and then when the moment comes to actually deliver, there's anxiety because I'm like, I don't know, I don't have everything I need, right? right? And so I'm reading about this, right? Have you seen this study on boredom? University of Virginia, I believe it was like 2013, 2014, did this study on boredom. A couple hundred students signed up for this study. And what it was is you showed up, and they had you sit for 15 minutes in a room. You could have nothing with you, nothing whatsoever, just your thoughts. And so the challenge was, hey, sit here for 15 minutes and do nothing, but here's something something that's going to be in the room with you. There's a buzzer on the table. And you're going to be hooked up to this buzzer, and it's just going to send you an electric shock. <laughs> right? That's it. And you, we think science is so fascinating at times. Like, it's, like, it's like adolescents sitting around like, how can we shock people? Right? Quite literally. Right? And so they sit in this room for 15 minutes, and if they get bored, hey, <laughs> hit the button. Right? Hit the button. Right? This is another testament and a study to why women live longer than men. Okay? <laughs> No joke, no joke. 75% of men hit the button. Right? Why not? We'll talk about this here in a minute. 25% of women hit the button. Right? Mike group and I, we had these long discussions on movies, music, things like this. We were at lunch, and I said, I think this needs to be further nuanced, though. Because I'm not going to lie to you, especially college, Eric would have been like, hey, I wonder what this feels like. Not because I'm bored, because I'm just curious feel like, and they literally said, no one ever wanted it to happen again to them, like they, they hit it and it was enough to be like, I never want that to happen again, right, like, but in the midst of this, they contributed that to boredom, our mind wanders, and that's what, that's what I want to talk about today, our thoughts, because I absolutely believe boredom emanates first out of the cognitive out of the mental there's absolutely emotions that get attributed to it, but it first starts with thoughts Blaise Pascal said this uh, this amazing quote about boredom in the 17th century. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Whew. I read that. He's one of my favorites. This man was 39 years old, and what he accomplished in that short amount of time is unbelievable. Theology, philosopher, mathematician, physicist. But he had an unbelievable way. He spoke a lot into this idea of boredom. That you'll see this throughout all of history, uh, the greats, the desert fathers, others will talk about the need for boredom to sit contemplatively in a space. And I think for many, that that's the temptation. Not We don't want to sit alone in that space because what our thoughts will tell us. I hope she's not watching my sister, that is, right now, because I'm going to use her as an example. Sorry, Lindsay, if you're watching. Uh, we'll talk about it next week, I'm sure. Um, So I absolutely believe a lot of this is your personality wirings for sure, right? My sister is an absolute seven. She loves people. She loves doing things. And she is good at it, right? I am the five. I'm more reserved. I don't need to do all those things. But I enjoy when she puts these things together, absolutely. But there's this thing she does. I I crack up and I joke on her all the time. My sister gets off work at 4.30. She's a nurse. And there's a phone call every day at 4.30, either to my mom, to my dad, or to me. And I asked the phone, I'm like, seriously, Lindsay, are you for real? You can't even drive 10 minutes? And you gotta, I do this, you can't sit in the car? You gotta call? I just talked yesterday to you. And now, uh, you know, I love it. We're very close, right? But there is a sense, right, that I have to do something. I can't sit, right? She's the one texting me. She texted me this past week. It was hilarious. She goes, I know this is probably too far in advance, but are you guys coming in for Thanksgiving? I'm like, are you for real? I don't know what I'm doing in three weeks. <laughs> absolutely like it's so funny because every time we go to louisville the rhythm is always the same right we stay at my parents we're probably going to eat the cousins are going to do their thing they're going to have some fun but every time it's like hey what are we doing when you get it friday saturday like, Lindsay, what did we do last time i came up <laughs> that's what we're going to do right? but there is i love it about her like i love her to death but there is i tell her many times i said Lindsay, like i think it's because you just can't and she'll say it i just can't sit still I gotta be doing something gotta be doing something and so today, as we talk more about boredom, and more specifically, the feeling that, man, my life is not that exciting, and in that, it's wrapped in that that sense of purpose and meaning, and that is the thing that many of us deal with, but one of the things I want to address first about the Christian life is this, okay, that we come to church, right, and it's hopefully, right, our desire for us at Southbrook, for those who come in here, that it's more than just coming to Sunday's. That the desire of the Christian life for those who say, Jesus, I want, to be, I want to make you the Lord of my life, is to say, I want you to guide me in everything I do. That the goal of the, this word, in the churchy world, is discipleship. It's like apprenticing. I want to apprentice after Jesus. Like a plumber, like an electrician, fill in the blank, you, you follow him. And it starts with this, that first and foremost, you must be with Christ. And this is going to make sense. I'm going to bring it back towards the end. That discipleship is first and foremost being with Christ. This is why we talk about the five S's constantly. Being with Christ means solitude, scripture, service, support, healthy support, and relationships. And this is all modeled by Jesus himself. That to apprentice with him, we must be, we must be with him like the disciples were with him. To watch him, to learn from him, to hear his truth. And the goal is to become, this is a big word, like Christ. You're not going to become him. But we definitely can become like him as we remain with him. And as we become like him, we do as he did. That is the question that is at the core here because here's the thing, when we get into our the monotony, the routine, the ordinary life that is everyday life, the question is for the Christian is how am I, this is the question you ask, how am I in this moment, if Jesus were Eric Fleming, how would he respond in this moment? at the grocery store, in the checkout line, in traffic, every day when I come to interactions with others, my kids, my wife, if Jesus is imminent and living in me, which is a reality, the Holy Spirit lives in you, that is him, in you, how would we, how would he act in this moment? And this is the crux of, of the Christian life, hopefully. But we know that the struggles of everyday life get to us. It's the rhythms and routines that happen. In fact, um, one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. And I think it's fascinating. He talks about this idea, what's called the law of undulation, which everyone in here understands this. Absolutely. It's this idea, I put this graphic together. He talks about this a lot more in the screw tape letters. I recommend read that book. C. S. Lewis has done so many amazing things from mere Christianity to the problem of pain. Screw tape letters. Let me give you a little background on this. Screwtape Letters is this book of Uncle Screwtape, I call him, he's a senior devil. And the book's premise is this, all he is doing is training up a younger Wormwood on how to tempt and deceive people. It's a fascinating book. It kind of changes your perspective, it's weird because they talk about their enemy, which is God. And in it is the crux of how to get to people. And a common theme in there is this, this this sense of boredom, the horror of the same old thing. And let me tell you how this came about, which is hilarious. This book came about because C.S. Lewis was bored in church. No joke. No joke. It's hilarious, right? And then you see this. He has these letters to one of his dear friends, George Sayer, where he writes to him. And, and it was, he, he missed uh, church for a couple weeks in a row because he was sick. And it said, he longed to get back to church and he was going to try to do it this upcoming week I want to get to the early service do you know why he went to the early service I hesitate to say this because a lot of you are going to feel this because he didn't like worship (laughs) that blow your mind (laughs) (laughs) love you so much love you so. like no joke his hope was to avoid him so the early service was the one where they just did the message now, here's what I would say to you if this is you. You know, you'll come in like 10, 15 minutes late because you want to avoid worship. He did a lot of things, though. He wrote a lot of amazing books. So if you're going to avoid worship, I, I would encourage you to throw that into it. Man, writing some books on theology, then, okay? Just, kidding, just kidding. But I thought that was fascinating. So as he sat in this service, this, this, this pastor, this preacher, whatever, apparently wasn't that excited. And what happened was he got the idea, essentially, that, man, the enemy lives in this space, and he has these letters to George, his friend, about how he came up with this idea because of that. That, man, the enemy could use this like crazy to get to people. And so listen to these words. I'm going to leave this graphic up here. And here's kind of this overview. In the Screwtape letters, Uncle Screwtape, the master devil, counsels his junior apprentice Wormwood to use tried and true techniques to seduce souls into sin. One tactic he highly recommends is a strategy that perverts man's natural love of change. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. That's coming from him. It's coming from him, this is the devil. Right? An endless source of heresies and religion, folly and counsel, infidelity and marriage, and inconstancy and friendship. Screwtape urges devils to cultivate in persons a passion for novelty, change for the sake of change, arbitrary, erratic, irrational changes, in the name of escape from the boredom and monotony of repetition. Screwtape explains to worm that man already possesses an inherent enjoyment of change that is balanced with man's innate love of permanence. And you heard that term. Tape calls this the horror of the same old thing. If we could put that inside their hearts, man, we could do all sorts of things. The horror of the same old thing is what the church would just simply call ordinary life. The type of change the devils encourage is a disordered restlessness that culminates in the demand for infinite and unrhythmical change kept up. The devils must exploit the state of dryness, he said, as we talk about this law of undulation, okay? Let me give you this right here. This is simply the simple fact that we all know life constantly undulates and oscillates between ups and downs. We know this. Life has amazing peaks of joy and gratitude and beauty, but it also has the ugliness of the troughs that life throw at us. Pain, despair, a loss of hope maybe. And that it fluctuates, as he calls it, undulates or oscillates, whatever you want to say. The screw tape says we got to manipulate, we got to use this. The devils must exploit the state of dryness that accompanies the troughs and use the state of anti-climax to incite the love of absolute novelty and endless change as the mag- magical cure to boredom. In other words, dramatic, spectacular changes in the name of newness will eliminate the virtues of patience and hope and trust, perseverance and faithfulness that acknowledges that sameness is not monotony but an aspect of natural order, an internal law, like the high and low tides of the seas. Like the rhythms of nature all around us, we see this. As summer is coming closer and closer to an end, which makes me super sad, (laughs) That means we're heading towards winter, which I don't want to head towards that ever, It's the days and the nights, it's the ups and downs, that nature around us ebbs and flows, and so is life. I thought this quote was powerful, and you'll see it on the screens. He said, this madness for change naturally leads, here it is, man, to govern his life. tape explains, by trendy ideas that are all a mode. Finally, the desire for novelty is indispensable if we are to produce fashions or vogue. C.S. Lewis writes of what we all know, that life fluctuates. And I wrote, I had this little bar in the middle because this is, this is, this is Christ's constant and true the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always there. And the temptation is this. Here's what I, I can't—I kind of deduce as I was looking at this graphic. I was like, here's the thing. When, when the peaks are good, life is great, everything's wonderful, bank account's full, the kids are doing well, work is great, all these things are awesome, vacations are happening left and right, things are great. Here's the temptation at that peak, though. We think we got it all under control ourselves. And Jesus is kind of down here. The temptation is to overlook what he is doing in the midst of that. At this peak, it's like, hey, I need to be, man, God, thank you. This is gratitude. This is an undecided realization that he is there, and he's only the reason this is happening. Right? And so the temptation is pride and self-reliance. But see, when the trough happens, and many of you have been there, many of us feel it. We walk in this room full of trough, in our trough right now, pain. Very real pain. It's not going well. I don't know where that where money is going to come from to pay it. As inflation skyrockets, we feel this even more. The kids just won't listen. Who are these kids? I don't know what they're doing left or right. I I tell them over and over, and they just will not listen. What is happening is so frustrating. Every day, school is not going well. Work is not going well. I have lost a loved one, and I'm in the pit of despair. And that is the temptation in that pit. In this pit, temptation is despair, a loss of hope. I'm all alone in this. I isolate from others. And Jesus says, I am right here. All you gotta do is what? Look up. I am here. You see, life oscillates, undulates. Ecclesiastes talks about this over and over. You know this. The the, uh, the writer in Ecclesiastes 3 talks about this undulation. For everything, there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to harvest. A time to kill, a time to heal. A tear down, build up. Cry, laugh, grieve, dance. It keeps going. Uh, this is fun. Do you do this a lot? Scatter stones and pick them up? <laughs> if you do, please tell me more. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's, it's picking up season, Eric. It's gathering season. Sorry, I'm ADD. Embrace, turn away, search, quit searching, keep, throw away, tear, mend, quiet, speak, love, hate, war, peace. The writer, in his very cynical way, will say this is life, this is everyday life. And if you remember Ecclesiastes, Solomon presses the flesh as a result of this to the extreme. And at the end of it, he says, it's meaningless. It was nothing. Honor God. Keep his commands. Follow him. So when we question and we think, man, is my life exciting? Is my life meaningful? Absolutely. And my challenge for today is this. If you're walking in here and you're feeling that trough, is that God sees you. God hears you. He is with you. He loves you. He values you. He created you. He imprinted you with his image, and he's got work for you to do. But like I said earlier, the battle comes in the mind of the ordinary. If I were to recommend another book, it's this book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren. And I love the the picture of the peanut butter and jelly. She, she takes this theme and extrapolates it out. Every chapter is simply like one, chapter two, which is one that was like gut-wrenching, was just um, make the bed. And she talks about how routine, ordinary, the monotony that seems like, this is like not that exciting or less eventful is where our faithfulness to Christ becomes even more, even more important. I want to read this to you because this is a promise I'm going to make it through this one because I felt, I feel this and we feel this in our home a lot, to be honest with you. I don't think I told her I was going to say this, but my wife struggles with this and we talk about this a lot, that we made the decision when we were young that, man, this isn't for everybody. I was like, I'm gonna work. She had a desire to be home with the kids. She could have very much been working, absolutely. And it was a decision we made. It doesn't mean everybody needs to make that, that's not what I'm saying. That was what, what was best for us. But many times, the enemy in that ordinary constantly beckons to her, this is, this is meaningless, this is nothing, you don't have purpose, right? And you know this, you feel this. And there's many nights sitting on the couch just saying, babe, no, that is the enemy. You are doing kingdom work. Every one of you are in here, single moms, mothers, single dads, whoever you are, you are doing unbelievable kingdom work. More, so, Hey, listen, more so than I'm doing right now. Every day, every morning, you are putting on Christ for your children and all that you do. Your coworkers, all the way out at work with your coworkers, everything you're doing is kingdom-oriented. If you would only see this truth, that this is kingdom. The present moment is heaven intersects with the temporal, the, the right now. But listen to these words, it doesn't mean we don't struggle because absolutely we do. Listen to her words here. Paul tells us to be content in all circumstances. For Paul that meant finding contentment amidst shipwrecks, beatings, and persecution. But I need not wait around for a shipwreck to prove my contentment in all circumstances. The call to contentment is a call amidst the concrete circumstances I find myself in today. I need to find joy and reject despair in the moment I'm in, in the midst of small pressures and needling anxieties. There is a theological term, theodicy, that names the painful mystery of how God can be powerful and good and still allow bad things to happen. Discussions of theodicy rightly tend to be about large-scale horrors, how God can allow war, famine, and the suffering of children. When suffering is sharp and profound, I expect and absolutely believe that God will meet me in the midst. But in the struggles of my average day, I somehow feel I have right to be annoyed. The indignations and irritations of the modern world feel authentic and understandable. I'm no Pollyanna. In a shipwreck, yes, of course, be content. But the third day in a row, of poor sleep, backed up sinks, dishes everywhere, clothes that need to be cleaned, kids running through the house screaming at one another, bills all over the place, this is just too much to ask for contentment. She said, I spent a few years in a war-torn area of the world and was surprised to find that there, in the midst of tensions and dangers, I felt more at peace than in my average American housebound day with a baby and a toddler. I had, oh man, this is powerful. I had a theology of suffering that allowed me to pay attention in crisis, to seek small flickers of mercy and profound darkness, but my theology was too big to touch a typical day in my life. I de- developed the habit of ignoring God in the midst of the daily grind. Rob Drew writes this struggle with despair in the average day. He says, everydayness is my problem. Amen. It's easy to think what you would do in wartime or if a hurricane blows through or tornado touchdowns or I get to spend a month in Paris or my guy wins the election or you win the lottery and you brought that thing, bought that thing that you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. She says it's in the monotony of the ordinary, the daily, where our spiritual formation, it's the crucible for our spiritual formation. I said earlier that I believe it absolutely begins with a thought that the enemy utilizes in these moments. Your life is not meaningful. You're in this alone. It's not that exciting. You need to change it up. It's why Paul talks about the need to be aware of the thoughts that come into our minds that inundate us left and right. I read something this week that it's like, it's such a large range, but like on the average, we have 15,000 to 60,000 thoughts that come into our mind on a daily basis. Curious how they came to that reality, but that's a large range. And then a lot of times, and you know, I've said this many times when I'm up here, that's why it's important when we talk about being with Christ, because in a given day, how many of those thoughts are coming from an, a, a, an ulterior motive, an ulterior messaging that stands in conflict to what we believe? Because remember, the struggle here is this. Here's why this is so hard for us. Because in Christ, you are spirit, but you also walk in flesh, right? So in the spirit, our spirit longs for the things of heaven. We long for a home that is not yet here, that will be here one day, but yet we live in this life now with flesh and desires and passions and emotions. And this constantly, this culture beckons to us, calls to us, and tells us things that stand in contrast to what the kingdom would say. And so there's a natural anxiety wrapped in that. And so why more than ever be with Christ is important because when these thoughts and the troughs happen, being with Christ in the midst of solitude and scripture and prayer and healthy relationships can reorient yourself to the things of the kingdom. To remind myself this isn't meaningless, I'm doing God's work right now, the beauty is all around me, I've got kids, I've got work, it feels like a lot, but God, I'm going to be faithful right now, right today, in this moment. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, simply this, what? Take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. It's when that thought comes in and the enemy uses that trough against you, you take that and you intercept it with the truths of Christ. No, that is not true. I am stamped with his image. I get to play a part in the grand scheme of what he is doing on earth and every moment I get to be his image in this moment. So, Romans says what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What? But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Starts in the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Then you will be able to test what the enemy is saying in the midst of the trough. Because you've reformed, transformed your mind. I understand the struggle. It is very real. The monotony of the daily is hard. And many times I question, I've told you guys, I constantly walk in conflict. I don't know if I've shared this up here. When 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 I read Mother Teresa, if you've ever read the letters of Mother Teresa that the Catholic Church later put out, she had no desire for these to come out because it revealed her inner struggles with God. Unbelievable. The book's called Come By My Light. Blew me away. Because you see these people who are doing unbelievable kingdom work, and you just assume everything's good. And she talked about how many, 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 many days, most days than not, that she did not feel God. And that she just was trusted and was faithful, is what she said. But I trust him because he is good, and I am faithful what he has called me to do. And that is the desire, that is the call for us, wherever you are today, whatever you walk in here with today, if you're a student, if you are elderly, whatever it is, it is the call to be faithful with what God has given you, to see the beauty around you, even in the midst of the ugliest of uglies. Because you may be walking in here with unbelievable pain that someone has brought on you, and that is not God is the challenge that when we leave this place, everywhere we go, we ask the question, what would Jesus do right now in my body in this moment? To see everything around me as beautiful, as an opportunity to see what God is doing in this created world that he gave us, this body that he created, the molecular level, the unbelievable things that are going on that God is behind, the universe that we see, God is active, the beauty is all around. We simply need to look up and say, God, I am faithful. There's a writer, um, fiction writer, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. His name was David Foster Wallace. And he took his life at a young age. And he had this way of viewing, man, culture and writing into it, and speaking into it. And then he had this struggle, obviously, he walked with. Because what we're talking about at the end of the day, okay? What we're talking about at the end of the day is this, that life is rhythmic. Life is wavelengths. And that you've heard Charlie talk about this in past series, right, uh, of to, to successfully navigate uh, these feelings that my life is inadequate, it's not, it's not eventful enough, it's, not, it's boring, it's not exciting, is we got to learn how to ride the waves, right? we got to learn how to ride the waves, to look up and see the beauty around us, even in the midst of the mundane, because God is a God of the mundane as well. David Foster Wallace had this amazing quote that just, man, as I was reading this week, just hit me, a friend sent it to me. And he said, have you seen this quote by David Foster Wallace? And the irony of this quote, it definitely doesn't, I don't miss this, because he writes about this idea of bliss, it makes me sad. Because he apparently didn't grasp this. But he writes this in a letter that was penned after his life, or like they found after he he passed posthumously. He said, Bliss is a second-by-second joy and gratitude at the gift of being alive, conscious. This lies on the other side of crushing, crushing boredom. He said, "Pay, Pay close attention to the most tedious thing you can find, and in waves, a boredom like you've never known will wash over you and just about kill you. Yet, If you ride these out, it's like stepping from black and white into color, like water after days in the desert. Instant bliss in every atom. That is the reminder for us. Do you see this? And I get it. Man, I've been emotional this week as I feel this. The everyday, the monotony, the routine, it is a struggle. kids are driving me absolutely nuts today just won't listen the house is a wreck it seems like it's always a wreck as soon as we pick up it's always messy two minutes later it is so frustrating health diagnosis school change work change work is just seeming monotonous I feel like I have no purpose it's a reminder that everyone who walks in Christ has purpose and meaning every day. Every day, God says, I have stamped you, and I love you, and I want to walk with you. Just see the world around you through the lens of the kingdom. And it's not great, because we long for a world that is not yet here. But in that moment, in that moment, you can be Christ to someone who has never seen it before. And I know it sounds like a lot of work and it is and many times we're gonna blow it and i'm I, i'm blowing it but tomorrow's anew it starts anew i'm gonna wake up and say christ sorry about yesterday but we're gonna move forward today and god says he is faithful in that in spite of that as well so i want to challenge you the band is going to play this song this beautiful song listen to macy's voice as she reads and sings these words I encourage you, please, right now more than ever, man, life is full of distractions left and right all day long. We are constantly being bombarded with messages. Take a moment here to push it all out. Push it all out. Sit in silence for a minute here and then listen to these words as we continue to talk about the need to ride the waves I think that will help us in the midst of just painful boredom that's a challenge for us today life is monotonous life is routine life is ordinary And granted, it is peaks of unbelievable excitement and joy. The challenge is to choose it in the everyday, to see God in every waking moment, to believe that wherever you are right now, Southbrook, whatever your life looks like, your surroundings, your circumstances, God has you where you need to be right now. And it might not be beautiful, and it might be ugly, but can you stand in that and say, God, I am here, send me, I am faithful. So Mother Teresa said all over her letters, I had no clarity. I sometimes, many times, didn't know what God was doing. But I trusted in him. And I'm faithful. Will you stand with me? Can we close in prayer? Reminder that communion is all around you at these tables. And that is a great place to reset our minds and our orientation as we set out from here. Let's pray, Southbrook. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. Every time. These messages come, they hit, It hit me hard. God, I thank you that you are a God of the mundane and it's my, it is my challenge to see you, to find you. That you are always there, you are constant in the ups and downs and it's simply me who has moved. Lord, I thank you that you are with us in the troughs and you're with us at the peaks and you're with us of everyday life. Help us to constantly be aware of that. Help us to sit with you, to become like you and to do what you did. I thank you for these church, for these families that are represented. I pray we go out here and we look up and see the work that you are doing in our very lives. to your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Southbrook.